From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Oh, it's great to be with you guys in this room again. Well, and I, I need to introduce a few people that are here that one of them that is not in the room, you know him well, but uh, let's start. First of all, uh, I am Scott Armstrong and to my right is Natalie Franco. Hi guys. Then to her right is Emily Armstrong. Hey, everyone. And from Barbados, and with a better connection, I trust, I think, I hope, that we have a better connection, uh, and that's not on him, that's on us, Dario Richards. Hello. <laughs> we, I'm going to practice my hellos like Dario does it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we do this every two weeks, and it, and it just, it, it still hits us, yeah. Well, <laughs> today, we are going to have just some some exciting things to talk about, and the first one, and maybe some of you are like, this part is not going to be exciting. I'm not going to give the whole announcement, but I want to prepare all of our listeners. Obviously, you have been with the Worthless Servants podcast for for many, many years, some of you, uh, and for many episodes. And we are coming to a change, a transition, somewhat of an end. Uh, And so you'll be hearing a a little bit more about that uh, in three or four episodes. So I wanted to give you the heads up. We're not going to tell you all the details right now, uh, but just give you the heads up that uh, we kind of are going to go through a little bit of a transition and a, and a hiatus, a time off uh, as well. So with that said, one of the uh, key things that we've really enjoyed doing through the years is, uh, is exploring some scripture and really understanding some of the missional implications of certain passages uh, that we find in our Bibles. Uh, and so we're going to do that again. Uh, this time, uh, several episodes ago, you may have heard us and, and, and we talked about Acts and the first part of Acts uh, 16. But this time we're going to really, one of my favorite passages, oh, you guys already know this, it's, it's, <laughs> it's exciting. But I'm going to ask Natalie, would you read Acts 16, 16 to 24? Now, as a, as a, as a listener, this is going to be quite a bit of time. Um, and, and we're going to stop there and we're going to talk about that a little bit and then, uh, we'll read the next part of the passage too. So, but, but just listen and really be thinking about this passage and, um, and it's especially it's missional and cultural implications. That's right. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Sila and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of the Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Sila, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and chapped their feet in the stocks. 
Okay, we're going to pause right there. Thank you, Natalie. And we are very familiar. You're, if you're listening to this, you are probably very familiar with this text. But we cannot skip by some of the context previously. How did we get here? And then the fact that there is some serious suffering in, in, the, in the case of the, the teenage girl or the young girl that's, that's uh, demon-possessed and being exploited. Uh, and then the drastic suffering, even as you were reading, I think you paused Natalie a little bit and said, dungeon? Does it say dungeon? Does it say beaten? So uh, Dario, let's, let's kind of start. How did they get in this, in, in this predicament? Uh, share a little bit of context with us. Yeah, I think for me, how they get here is probably one of the most startling things about the story. Uh, you find earlier up, um, I think it is in earlier in verse 6 to 10 of the same verse 16, you see that Paul on two different occasions had made an effort to go to another place, to visit uh, another city. And both times, the Bible makes it clear that it was the Holy Spirit himself that prevented Paul from going in these places and ultimately leading him to where we are right now. And and I just find it, you know, obviously as you read the story and see the, the type of experience that Paul and Silas would have as a result of doing the work of the Holy Spirit, as a result of doing the work of God, and also seeing that it was God himself that led Paul and Silas to this place that causes me to stop and reflect. <laughs> there are some key principles yeah. here, right? Like, uh, like yeah. he guides you and you're, oh, Lord, I want to know your will. And then you realize your will is that I would be in a mess. Your, your will is that I'd be in really tough circumstances. But that's exactly what happens, yeah. right? Yeah, that's where we are. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's pieces of this um, passage that are very interesting to me, especially in kind of the the day and age that we're in of, I feel like there's been a little bit more of at least young people. I feel like every time I say young people, I look at Natalie. <laughs> she's, our, she's our token young person <laughs> on the cast. But um, like literally in the last 10 years, we've heard a lot about like human trafficking and human slavery and how... And how maybe we want to have this idea that slavery is a thing of the past, but it really is something that is still highly present with us. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was reading the very beginning of this passage and just see this girl that's trapped in slavery, like she's literally making somebody money because of the yeah. gifts and graces that she has, you know, and she's and being even, exploited. Even when she's liberated, they're furious. Right, right. And so yeah. I just think about there's there are a lot of things that are going on in the world today. I've heard stories from um, IJM or International Justice Mission. Um, there's another um, huge organization by Christine Kane that's called A1. And they're constantly talking about these stories of people that are being enslaved that can't get out of slavery. And, and so when I read something like this, and even in the context of what Daria was just saying, I think about the missional implication of God closed the door to places where Paul was like, hey, maybe we should go here. And God's like, nope, don't go there. Hey, maybe we should go there. Nope. Don't go there. Like he sent Paul into a place that was like filled with slavery. Apparently like this girl is, is highlighted in this story. Right. And, um, 
And I think as a church that has a missional purpose that we need to grab onto a context like this even and not close our eyes to human trafficking, not close our eyes to slavery that's passing through the world and be like, you know what? Sometimes God closes the door to the things that we're like, hey, these are our evangelistic purposes, (laughs) you know, and maybe he's like, no, I want you to go to the harder spaces. I think this was probably a really hard space. Um, I think if we were to try and and convince ourselves that it was easy, (laughs) that Paul was like, hey, let's just go vacation here for a while. You know, it's going to be an easy missionary assignment. I think we'd be, we'd be fooling ourselves. So to me, that that's a piece of what I think God can still use this passage through to, to encourage us in hard spaces of mission as well. Yeah. And, and, and also, as you were saying about this little girl, it remind she reminded me a lot about, um, this is the reality of the city. Um, like I can see that here in Santo Domingo, how many girls, little girls are, are prostitutes. Yes. Um, wow, yeah. and, um, it, it really hit my heart. And I remember one time I, I usually, um, buy my clothes as I'm really, really tiny. Mm-hmm. I usually buy my clothes in Shane. Mm-hmm. And then I remember I was reading a little bit about the people who make this clothes and our children, the yeah. one that are, and they are slaves in India. Yes. And they, they, when I was reading about this, I was like, I didn't even know about this. And I'm buying this mm. and, and I continue like using the clothes that little children were like, they didn't even go to school because they right. had to work a lot and they were treated as slaves and other people were making money out of them. Mm-hmm. So I was like, after that, I was like praying and I think it's it's something that I, I want to continue practicing. I was praying, God, please open up my eyes mm-hmm. uh, and give me your eyes so I can see the things that I that I just kept missing. And that's the thing, like, she, she just reminded me about this is the reality of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um... Uh, Emily would have mentioned, you know, some of these organizations like IJM. I actually have a friend, a very good friend of mine, who is a lawyer. Um, she was like really claiming um, the ladder here. Um, actually, she she became like a, a magistrate. She was, you know, claiming the the space of law, uh, but she felt this strong sense of calling and purpose uh, to work for IJM. She would always say it was like part of. From the time she started studying law, she felt like this is what God was calling her into. And then the opportunity came about for her to actually go and work with them. Uh, so she packed up everything and moved to Africa um, to work for IJM. And then I listened to her tell the stories because where she's located, uh, they focus on rescuing um, the children's slaves who um, the guys would just take and use them in the rivers to fish and they use the children because they're so small. How many of them were just drowned out in the river, how they're just treated uh, literally like slaves. And and she always shares um, for the perspective of what shocks her is, and I see it the same way in the passage, what shocks her the most is how culturally normal slavery is in some context so even as an outsider looking on you know we can see oh this is wrong you know this is this is you know horrible for children or whoever to do this because of the cultural context people see it as normal they see it as a means that they earn their living um they even see it sometimes as the means for the persons who are 
are in this in this slave context to be taking care of their family. Um, so even as they read the story and ask and they reflect on her experience, uh, because she shares of she shares of many times when they will go out on what they will call rescues, and while they're doing the work, the entire community will come out in uproar and mobs would form because in the community's mind, you know, they are they are stealing from the community. They're huh. stealing their means of making wealth. And and it just was a reminder as 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 Emily mentioned it, how even as Christians, we must continuously have God's eyes and see from God's perspective. Uh, because even the culture can be blind to the things that are anti-God. And unfortunately Addressing and calling out the things that that God is against can lead to to dungeons and whips yeah. and chains, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I just I just reminded I was just reminded of of my friend's experience working with AJ. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really important. A lot of times, I I, I can say as a preacher, I've preached on this or taught on this, and um, you know, it's I don't teach much about that first part. You know, I want to get to the busting out of jail part and we will get there. But I think in our ministries, uh, you know, I'm looking at all, all three of you, um, you know, we're in ministries that, that really talk about transforming communities. I mean, not just going and seeing maybe one person come to know the Lord, praise the Lord for that. But really if one person comes to know the Lord and if there's transformation in one family, then that can start to provoke, and we hope it does provoke, drastic changes, uh, differences in cities, in nations, in communities, and and uh, and that's not always easy. That's yeah. not always like, and it'll look perfect, and we'll have a nice, you know, packaged uh, story to tell everyone. But community-wide transformation is vital, is really, really essential and important. Yeah, I think one thing that sometimes we don't talk about in the church enough, and again, it comes on the heels of this specific passage, is Paul literally gets angry. Like it is a an emotion that God gives him. And I think sometimes in the church, we only see anger from this like really negative viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And we kind of forget that anger is what God has given us when injustice is happening around us. Like when you start to feel that anger well up, because I think there's a difference between like the compassionate response, right? Usually you kind of think about like, I, I'm feeling the the sadness with somebody. I'm, I'm feeling the, the empathy of like what they're feeling. But like when anger, is provoked in us in the church. Um, it's because God has given us this like severe awareness of when there's injustice in the world. And so I think Paul, even in this circumstance, gives us this ability to be like, it's okay to be angry over injustice in the world. In fact, that is how God is embodying himself in Paul at this moment in time. God Many times in the Bible, you can see where he becomes angered over things that are unjust when we're not treating people correctly, when there's people that are serving other gods and not serving him. And like anger is is a godly quality. And I think sometimes we throw it under the bus, you know, mm-hmm. so maybe just one of those things that as we're as we're listening and reflecting on this, something that I think that we could have a greater theology on probably is when I feel anger, like, is it this righteous anger? Is God trying to point something? 
something out to me? And is he not just trying to point it out to me? Is he urging me to action? Mm-hmm. I think that's what anger should do in us is, is if we feel it and it's a righteous anger, then like, so what's the next step? And that's kind of what Paul did, right? Like he, he called it out. He said, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to be done with this now. Like this is unjust. And, and so I think there's a, a big lesson for the church to even learn in emotions in this passage. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to ask Dario if he would go from 25 to 40. And before that, let's just be reminded of the suffering of Paul and Silas. They were dragged before the authorities. They were wrongfully accused. They were stripped naked. They were, the passage tells us they were severely flogged or beaten in the version that you were, you were reading, Natalie, thrown into prison and locked in the stocks. Now with that in mind, get ready because I don't know what your reaction would be at that moment, but this is the reaction. So Dario, you can, you can pick up from verse 25, I believe. Now about the midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, thinking that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer asked for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of God to him together with all who were in that house, in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized and he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and was overjoyed since he had become a believer in God together with his whole household. Now, when they came, the chief magistrate sent their officers saying, release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the chief magistrates have sent word that you be released. So come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, after beating us in public without due process, men who are Romans, they threw us into prison and now they're releasing us secretly. No, indeed. On the contrary, (laughs) let them come in person and lead us out. The officers reported these words to the chief magistrates and they became fearful when they heard they were Romans and they came and pleaded with them. And when they had led them out, they repeatedly asked them to leave the city. They left the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brothers and sisters, they encouraged them and departed. Oh man, there's so much good in here. Like, first of all, first of (laughs) all, like they, they are liberated, they leave jail and then they go back to jail. I mean, I don't know if that's like going to be a main point of what we talk about, but that fascinates me. Right. And there, there's some reasons why that takes place, but let's go back. Let's go back. Literally beaten and in the stocks and in a, I mean, prison was not as nice. Even prison isn't nice nowadays either, but, but it was even worse then. And what are they doing? They're praising, they're praying, they're singing hymns. What, what, Natalie, what is that? Uh, how does that speak to you? You, you are a resident uh, psalmist and singer and uh, worship leader. And, uh, and, uh, and so, I mean, that speaks to me, right? Yes. Um, 
I don't know, but for some reason it, it came to my mind, David, like the way he was always like getting, running to God when he was facing trials and he was like complaining and being so honest to him, which is amazing. Like it's something I do a lot. I practice, I, love, I have to say, when I'm in the middle of trials, I, I'm running to God and I'm like, God, can you please help me? Like I'm crying out to him and I know he, he listened to to whatever it's happening but like this is a lesson for me because they they were facing so many things and instead of complaining and like god what is what is happening right now they were worshiping wow they were singing hymns and i was like okay i need to learn a lot from these people <laughs> like i need to like start with this correct attitude and something that also i was able to see here which is really important is what they were singing it was not like a song based on their circumstances like oh I'm, I'm, I'm facing these like I don't think um, nothing will happen like the earthquake or anything that was happening after their worship if the songs if the hymns were not centered in God in, in this is what happened with the hymns and I really love about that like about the hymns usually they are Christ-centered songs. Um, they they worship the Lord. Like, like they talks about sovereignty of God and His authority, His greatness. And so I'm pretty sure, like in that moment, they were praising the Lord for who He is instead of like singing songs about what was happening. And so that's why the chains were broken wow. because they were like singing about how great his God was in the midst of all this situation. Emily, there have been times where we've had mo many difficulties and, and, and you have led our family truly in praying and in praising in the midst of those times. Yeah, I think there's, um, there is power in in worship and even I know that everything is worship we want we want everything in our life to be worship um, but there is something about musical worship that God enjoys right like the Bible even tells us like he's he's in the midst of the music there's a reason why when he was establishing the the tabernacle and the temple structures that there were people that he gifted with um, these abilities of musical talent and um, God loves music and I think that he's placed that in our hearts as well of like we commune with him in a different way when there is music in our midst and I can recall many times that um, even just over the past three to five years, probably that as a family, we were praying about something that was like maybe difficult. And even as like mom and dad, we didn't know exactly what to tell the kids, like how we should pray, you know, but it was like, oh, but there is this one um this one song that can kind of lead us in mm. in some thought processes and 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 bring us back to what our reality is in who we are in God and what the circumstances in, in, in God's eyes and um, I was even thinking Natalie as you were. Um, as you were talking just this morning, I literally sent, I sent this to my son, Elijah, and it's from Psalm 81.1. It says, sing for joy to God, our strength, because he, um, he started a job last night and he had texted us and he said, it's the hardest job I've ever had in my life. Which <laughs> by is, the way, he hasn't had a ton of jobs. He hasn't, but. <laughs> but it is a very physically taxing job that he's doing super physically taxing. And, um, but like, that's what I sent him, right? Because, because I think that's the, the context of what we believe as a family and a piece of our foundation. Uh, and I told him, I said, just, 
put on some music around you as you're getting ready this morning that like fills your space with who God is and, and let that be your strength. And so I think that's what Paul and Silas were doing too. I think they were mm. kind of digging down into that of like, so I might not have words in this circumstance, but there are plenty of words that have been given to us in the Psalms, which were available to them at this moment in time. It's not that they didn't exist. Um, so I think they were kind of digging into somebody else's words and saying, even though we don't have the strength and the energy, we know that this is something that God has given us and, and they leaned into it just a little bit more. And worship and, and praise and God's power end up being the best evangelism. I mean, yeah. think about that. They're, they didn't have to say, now I'm going to present to you uh, the, I mean, in that time, they didn't have the Romans road. But, uh, but, Paul hadn't quite like, written it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8. Maybe yeah. he was thinking of it at this point. Maybe, He's like, you know what was. I need is the Romans road. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, obviously, I'm using that tongue in cheek, right? They didn't They didn't say, here is the bracelet of, Brace, with the colors, colors, and <laughs> I'm going to present the, you know, the, the gospel to you. Like, literally, just because they were impassioned, literally because mm-hmm. they were excited, and they were worshiping their God. Everyone else says, what do I need, including the, the jailer, what do I need to do to be saved? You know, yeah. and that, that says something. It's not just a technique. It's not just getting down. Okay. How do I explain to somebody and how do I say literally by the way we serve God and praise him and worship him, that's going to affect others. I find it interesting that not just their chains were broken, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, not just their chains fell off. Everyone else's, all of the people in there, there are implications theologically for that. You know, um, when we are serving God, when we are passionately worshiping God, um, that has implications for our family. Yeah. That has implications for those around us. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's almost like the, the glass that just spills over when the Holy Spirit is moving in you. Somebody's going to get wet around you, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I think, I think these are crucial, crucial things. Yeah, I think um, I remember, I can't remember if it was during the pandemic or after when um, I was having some discussions about how do Christians respond in the midst of crises, you know, like, um, whether the crisis is a pandemic, the crisis oppression or opposition from outside. And I think there are, there are three things that always come to mind because it, it, it my, I guess in my, in my conclusion, Christianity is always defined by like three core things, you know, like a regenerated heart, a transformed mind and empowered hands. That's what, that's what God does. Generates our heart, transforms our mind and he empowers our hands to serve. And in light of that, I think if it is anything that Christians must always maintain when we are faced with any type of trial or any type of opposition is that we need to maintain the right perspective. We need to have the right posture and we need to continuously engage in the right practices, right? In alignment with what we believe and God would have us do. And I don't think anybody has modeled that like Paul and Silas in this passage. Like it's almost is almost as though it, like, like the Bible doesn't say, but when you see from the beginning where we talked about the Holy Spirit leading Paul and Silas uh, to this place, now they're in the dungeon. Like if it is me, I will be in the dungeon, like Lord, you sent me here. No, I'm suffering. Totally. <laughs> How could you do this to me? You know? It's like Paul and so this is like, okay we are clear that it has been God's will that we are here. Mm-hmm. You know, like we are not here on our own doing, like God has led us here. And they could see how having a perspective like that, 
you know, influences how they believe in the person. Like, instead of complaining, they start worshipping. You know, they start singing. You know, that gives insight into the posture of their heart. Like, they know, all right, you know, we hear the posture of my heart is I'm going to trust his word. I'm going to trust his, I'm going to trust in his will. Uh, but I think, you know, what even, what is even crazier is how in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the beating, in the midst of the imprisonment, when they are set free, their mind is still on how do I advance the kingdom? Like how do yes. I, how do I how do I see this jailer and his entire household saved? You know, and I'm just thinking like, if you set me free, all right, thanks, I gone. You know, like let me move on to the next. I did my job. I went to prison. I'm moving, but no, they're staying because even in the midst of the crisis, they still have this. They still have this posture and perspective that the word that God has given them um, is supreme. It must be done. And they are committed to that. And I think it's just it's just further insight for us on how do we manage. Whether whether the crisis is as tremendous as being whipped and jailed mm-hmm. or the crisis is, you know, uh, smaller as, you know, like whether it be some trouble between relationships or, or oppression in certain places. Like, like how do we maintain the right posture, the right perspective yeah. and continue to practice and do the things that God has called us to do. And, and yeah, it, it just is, is a reminder to me of those things. Yeah. I think to your point too, Dario, as I'm hearing you listening and thinking about the end of the passage right there where the jailer, he does become saved. He leaves his, he leads his entire household into salvation. And we use this passage a lot to teach about baptism. And um, the baptism that takes place of this jailer and his family is immediately like <laughs> there's, there's no reason to think that he's had anything more in his life than just a confession of faith. He's had a confession of faith that I believe in the God that you're singing about that maybe I just heard about an hour ago. I believe in that God because I've seen him already at work. I um, have seen how he is is working on behalf of his people. You've told me about him. I'm I'm confessing that faith. And uh, and so Paul's like, well, what would impede us to, to do a baptism right now? And um, so I think there is a lesson for the church in that as well of sometimes as somebody <laughs> has a confession of faith, we're like, well, now if you can just go through these eight weeks of like really knowing what the church is, and then if you can go through another 10 weeks of really knowing what baptism is, and if you can be a faithful tither and, you know, it's like we put all of these hoops for people to jump through to become a baptized believer of Christ. Um, I think this passage is one of the passages that we really need to allow examine us and say, mm, maybe we're putting a few too many hoops on a baptism. Um and we should do a whole podcast episode on just baptism, probably, because we've never talked about Surprised it before. Surprised in 160 <laughs> right? plus I know. we have it, probably. I know. But just the power that comes through that baptism experience, like Paul gifted him and gave him grace to say, I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, and we're going to do this immediately. And and that's something that we need to bring on in, in the church just a little bit more closely, I believe. So that's excellent. And let's go back a little bit to what you were saying, Dario, in everything, even in their being beaten, they were thinking of others. They were thinking of God, of course, praising him, but they were also thinking of the well-being of others. And and we kind of get a, a few glimpses into that in the last verses, right? They go to the jailer's house and then they return to jail. Why would they do that? Well, well, they need to do that because, I mean, he would have he would have been fired and probably actually killed, you know. And so they literally go back and and say, 
hey, we got no chains. Uh, the doors are open, but it wasn't his fault. We're here to testify. And they're constantly, even then, thinking, uh, we are going to think about someone else. And not to leave, even their first action after this like exhausting, I mean, they pulled an all nighter, right? I mean, they're, they're, they were worshiping, they're beaten, they're, they're bloodied. They end up going to the jailer's house. They see transformation. And the first thing that they do is come back. And it says when they leave again, the second time the jail, they encouraged all of the Christians in Philippi, right? In, in, in that place. Does that teach you something? Does that tell you something? Even in that moment, they're saying, it's not about me. It's about God using us to impact others. Yeah. I think that's ministry. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, we are supposed to do ministry. Like, and something I've been learning is sometimes we have to serve others, even with our hearts broke. Um, and God was calling us to do this. And, and so I think that it's really important for us to, and I think this is what was happening here with Paul and Sila. They were full of the Holy Spirit. And when you're full of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's, it's just, you know, like yeah. you just. It's what you do. It's what you do, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And like, you're called to, be, to do this. Like, and you don't center of your pain, but like you are so focused on God and, and what he wants you to do. And, and so you do it. Yeah. That's good. You said something so profound. I hadn't thought of it. We serve even when our hearts are broken. I mean, it, it, I, I've been thinking of this more as we serve even when our bodies are broken, even mm -hmm. when we're whipped and tortured and when we're, but, but we still serve even when, when emotionally, maybe we're, our hearts are broken. You know, that's just God flowing through us. And, And um, I, I think maybe some people are listening to this and there is a time where you need to say, I need to focus on myself and I'm not well, you know, I need to, there's something in my life right now that, that I just need to, to make sure that, that uh, God and I are okay. Right. But there are other moments where even in those moments we are spent, we're exhausted. We're even battered, bruised. We've suffered. Our hearts are broken, even as you said, uh, but God still is using us. Amen. Um, This is, this is powerful. Oh, so there's a lot. We're, we're running, running up to our, our time uh, normally uh, that, that we kind of need to, to wrap up. Um, I just want to continue the dialogue. Emily, uh, there are plenty of places where people can get a hold of us. And, and uh, could you mention some of those? Yeah, you can find us online at our Facebook page, which is the Worthless Servants Podcast. You can also find us on mesoamericagenesis.org. Thank you. We'd love to continue the conversation. What jumps out uh, from Acts 16 to you? And maybe some personal stories as well. We've shared some of those. Uh, but what are your personal stories, uh, difficulties, times of even oppression and, and obstacles, and you still chose to praise? Uh, you still chose to worship. Well, we are the Worthless Servants, and I'm Scott Armstrong. I'm Natalie Franco. I'm Emily Armstrong. I'm Dario Richards. And we'll talk with you next time. For more information, visit us on Facebook or at mesoamericagenesis.org.